Hi, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, it's a great time of year to be together. It's a great time of year to worship together. And uh, happy to be doing that, really happy to be doing that. Uh, Christmas, quick Christmas poll. Um, how many of you are Christmas tree people? Like, you do it. You put up a tree, put your hands in the air and leave them there. You put up a tree at your house, it's not... Okay, how many of you, like, still have, still have to do that? Leave your hand in the air. A few people still going to do it, still have to do it. Okay, good. Well, I was with you until yesterday, so we just kind of... We just got it done yesterday. And uh, it's a, a remarkable, just, I guess, maybe it's because of when it fell, or well, I don't know what the deal is, but... Uh, the idea that a uh, week from tomorrow is Christmas, that's really kind of sneak, sneaky, it seems like, this year. But it's good. I appreciate uh, Bryson being here and leading us in worship. It's great to have him with us, and uh, that's good. So uh, we're going to begin our study here in just a minute. And as we begin, what I'd like to do is just take a moment and acknowledge that we're in a big transition. If you're not aware of that, uh, then you're new, you know. Um, we're in the middle of a big transition as I uh, finish out my ministry at Trinity, and I will be speaking for the next couple of weeks. My last message will be on New Year's Eve, so two weeks from today. And then I'll still be around in January, but uh, the, I will not be preaching during that time. And so uh, when we get to that point, two weeks from today, I'm going to be sharing with you, and, and we're going to just have a heart-to-heart during that time. So I know some of you have special plans. You can't change them. You're going to be out of town. And I understand that. But if you're around, I think you'll want to be here for that. Uh, we're going to talk about some important things and what's next for Trinity. So we'll do that. And, and, but in the meanwhile, what I'd like to do is I'd like to say I'm happy to see how this faith family is working through some of the challenges that we're faced with right now. Some of the challenges that come with, with being a faith family. Some of the challenges that come with transitions uh, like this. I am happy to see that this church is striving for uh, truth and love, and uh, striving for both of those things, and putting the good of this faith family ahead of our emotions. I see people doing that. I see us working through uh, communication issues and just things that are important right now. That's evidence of this church's maturity and uh, this church's heart, and I'm happy to see that. I'm happy to see that. And I, there's a reason. There's a reason that this faith family is behaving in this way and dealing with some of these challenges in a mature way. Uh, and I'm going to share that reason with you before we're done with the morning. But first, what I'd like to do is remind you of what we're doing during these three Sundays prior to Christmas, that we're uh, talking about pictures of Christmas, really pictures of Jesus and uh, looking at three different pictures that Jesus gives us to help us understand him and his mission better. And uh, Jesus was a master communicator, and he knew, how, uh, you know, Bryson said Jesus in worship this morning in his prayer, uh, Jesus was more human than we are, which is kind of a staggering way to think about it, but it's true. Jesus was more human than we are, and he understands the, uh, uh, communication, and that's why Jesus spoke so frequently in word pictures. He spoke in these uh, images in order to help us understand who he is and what he's like. We have the saying, a picture is worth a thousand words, and, and immediately when we hear that saying, we're like, oh yeah, it just resonates with us. You can look at a picture, and all of a sudden, a whole realm of meaning opens up just by looking at that picture. When you take something that you 
know about. And you compare it to something that you don't know about. And someone says, well, you know about this. It's like, and you don't know about this. Well, these share some quality. These share some attributes. This is like this. And when you, when, you under, when you take something that you know and transfer the attributes of what you know to something that you don't know, all of a sudden you have insight, a whole new realm of insight into this thing you didn't know anything about by comparing it to something that you know. That's just effective communication. And there's a great example of that in the Christmas poem, The Night Before Christmas. A number of examples, but one of my favorites comes from right in the middle of the poem where Moore is describing Santa Claus, St. Nick, and he's talking about, he's telling us what St. Nick looks like, because who knows what St. Nick looks like, you know, what's he, and uh, he, he describes him like this, he says his eyes, how they twinkled, his dimples, how merry, his cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry, his droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard of his chin was as white as the snow. The stump of his pipe he held tight in his teeth, and the smoke, it encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. You see all the word pictures in that, in, in just those few lines where, where uh, we're, we understand what St. Nick looks like because we know what these other things look like. Look at all the different word pictures in this, in this, uh, just these, this one section of the poem. Uh, his cheeks were like roses, his nose a cherry, his mouth like a bow, and his beard like snow, white as snow. Well, we know what all those things look like, snow and cherries, and uh, uh, the smoke encircled his head like a wreath, and he laughed like a, you know, his stomach shook like a bowl full of jelly, right? And we, we understand. We know how a bowl of jelly just kind of j- jiggles, right? And we're like, okay, I understand. Uh, because I know something about cherries and snow and, and uh, roses and jelly. So now I understand a little bit more about St. Nick because I can see with these things that I already know. And that's what Jesus did. He did the same thing. He took certain things that we know and he compared them to something we don't know, him. And he said, I am like that. See, Jesus is most, uh, history's most admired person, but he's also history's most complicated person. All the brain power that has been spent explaining who Jesus is and what his nature is and his origin and why he came. All of these uh, uh, scholars and students who've uh, studied and written and trying to explain what Jesus is like. Well, Jesus, he just used word pictures to help us understand. He communicated to us by saying, you know this, I am like that. You know bread, I am the bread of life. And all of a sudden, when we hear Jesus say, I am the bread of life, we understand, oh, just like the bread I ate this morning sustains my physical life, somehow I have to ingest Jesus is the bread that sustains eternal life. I understand that now. Because Jesus takes something we know and he compares it to himself and gives us insight into a whole new uh, realm of what he is like. Well, that's great, but what happens when Jesus compares himself to something we don't understand? See, Jesus lived in an agrarian culture 2,000 years ago. 
His world was a lot different than ours, and a lot has changed since then. And one of the pictures that Jesus gives us isn't a picture that we readily understand. It's a picture that people in agrarian cultures 2,000 years ago understood, but we're 21st century Americans, and and we don't understand. It takes a little bit of extra work for us to understand uh, this particular picture of Jesus. But it's worth the extra work. Because even though we don't automatically understand the the reference, because we don't live in the kind of culture that Jesus lived in, if we can get our heads around this reference, it will help us understand what Jesus is like and how he enters our life. And so, uh, we're going to talk about that this morning. One day when Jesus was teaching, he said, I am the good shepherd. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you'll take your Bibles, open them to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, as we open our Bibles, you can find a Bible in one of the chairs in front of you, or you brought your own copy, or you can access it on the Trinity app. But as we look at the book of John, whenever you open the book of John, remember that you're reading the, you're reading the, the writings of the man who was Jesus' closest earthly friend. So Jesus had a bunch of followers, but he had 12 special followers he was uniquely close to. He had three among the 12 that he that were kind of like his small posse, and he had one of those three that was his closest friend, and that was John. That's who wrote the Gospel of John. And in John chapter 10, Jesus has an extended section where he talks about shepherds and sheep. And he uses the word picture, the top of my, uh, the top of my Bible, at the beginning of chapter 10, it says, the shepherd and his flock. And the whole first half of the chapter is about the shepherd and his flock. And so, we're going to read, and we're not going to read the whole, that whole section, but we're going to start right in the middle of Jesus talking about the shepherd and his flock. And we're going to begin in verse 11, where Jesus says this. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. And then... Uh, the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Jesus, he tells us here that he is the good shepherd. It's a beautiful picture and it holds a lot of meaning. But our problem is we don't know a whole lot about sheep and shepherds. Now, Candy Crush, yes. Fantasy football, yes. Bitcoin, sort of. But shepherds and sheep, not so much. Pretty much the only time that we even think about shepherds is Christmas. 
That's the only time a 21st century American ever even uh, thinks of the category of shepherds. If you do a Google search on... Did you, did you know that you can do a Google search on Google searches? You can do a Google search on how many times people look up uh, the word shepherd through the course of the year. And it goes like this. January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December. Okay? Because every pastor and Christmas pageant director is trying to get their head around what a shepherd is and what, what they're like and what they did because it's Christmas time. And Christmas is the one time of the year that 21st century Americans think about shepherds. We just don't know a whole lot about that world. We don't know a lot about shepherds. We don't know a lot about sheep. So here's a quick primer. We'll start with sheep. Basically, what you need to know as a 21st century American about shepherds and sheep, basically you just need to know this. Sheep are valuable, but they're not very capable. All right? They're valuable, not capable. In Jesus' day, sheep were valuable. They were an important part of the economy. They were, uh, they were very valuable, but they weren't then and never have been very capable. Uh, they're not the most admired members of the animal kingdom. They're not the most feared members of the animal kingdom. Uh, nobody calls their mascot the fighting sheep. Okay? <laughs> sheep. They don't inspire confidence. They don't, they don't ins- they're not pictures of ingenuity. They're not pictures of, of uh, competence or capability. I mean, beavers. Beavers are engineers. Foxes are sly and crafty. Dogs are loyal and loving, right? But sheep? I mean, sheep are delicious, you know? Uh, they make good sweaters, and that's about it. They are, they are not capable. They get lost in familiar... I mean, in the same pasture they've spent the whole summer in, they can get lost. They can get lost. Sheep are what someone has called singularly unintelligent. Now, uh, you're looking for an insult sometime. Write that one down. Singularly unintelligent. They have no means of defense. They can't take care of themselves. Actually, they are just dependent creatures. They can't take care of themselves. They can't safely navigate the world around them. They are exposed to the elements and all the perils of the world. How do they survive? Well, they survive because they have a shepherd. That's the only reason sheep survive. They have a shepherd. They have a shepherd who guides them, who provides for them, and who protects them. And that's how they make it through the world. Now, if you're like me, this is not really how you want to think of yourself. Right? A sheep. Dependent. Singularly unintelligent. Right? You don't really want to think of yourself that way. We like to think of ourselves as independent. I can take care of myself. I can think my way through a problem. I'm a disciplined person. I can handle it. But the truth is, when you really get down to it, we are 100% vulnerable. 100%. Because when you boil it all down, when it, when it comes to the things that matter the most, we have the least control. When it comes to the things that matter, think about that. The things that really matter the most, we have the least control. I mean, we have control over small things. We can take our vitamins, we can exercise, we can protect our savings account, we can excel at our job, we can wear our bike helmets. But all of that 
can be wiped out in a second. The things that matter the most, we have the least control. Life, death, our family, our health, what's going to happen tomorrow. Really, we don't have any control when it comes to those things. We are sheep. When it comes to the things that matter the most, we have the least control. We may be valuable to someone, but we're not capable. Not when it comes to the things that matter the most. The truth is, we go through this life, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't like to think about it, but we are totally exposed. And not just in this life, but certainly in the life that comes after this. And if you don't believe that there's anything that comes after this, if you don't believe there's life after this, then you've got to know that you have, a different, uh, you have a different sense of things than history's most admired and complicated person. Because Jesus spoke of life after this life all the time. He spoke of the reality of eternal life. And uh, if you are not so sure you're, you know, that you buy into that, what you need to know What you need to know is that you're hoping against the teachings of Jesus himself, because Jesus taught frequently about eternal life. And if you're a sheep in this life, boy, we're really sheep when it comes to the next life, because we don't even know what's around that corner. We don't even know. I mean, we are total sheep when it comes to what happens after we die. How do we survive then? How do we survive this life? How do we survive the reality of life after this life? Well, we need a shepherd. And Jesus says he is that shepherd. He's that shepherd. He's not just any old shepherd. He says several times in the passage, I am the good shepherd. He's not just a guy who took the job because it's, got, because it's good money taking care of sheep. He's not just a hired hand. He's a good shepherd. And he has, the, he has genuine concern for his sheep foremost in his mind. And as a shepherd who has genuine concern for his sheep, he guides them. He guides his sheep. He guides his followers through life. He talks about using his voice. And, and my sheep know my voice. And that's how they know how to follow me. They know my voice. They hear me and they follow me. And where I go, they go behind me. This shepherd, Jesus' shepherd, guides us. He guides us through life. We can't see around the corners of of life. We can't see around the corner of 2018. We can't can't see what's going to happen in 2018. How how do we know we're going to be okay? Well, we have a shepherd who guides us. We have a shepherd who provides for us. That's the second thing that a shepherd does. He leads us into places where there is plenty, where there's provision. And Jesus provides for us. He makes sure that his sheep have what they need. So Jesus makes sure that you have what you need. He provides for you. You don't know what 2018 holds, but you can know that your shepherd is going to provide for you. And then he, he guides us, he provides for us, he protects us. That's the third thing that a shepherd does. That as we walk through this life, Jesus, as our shepherd, protects us. As we go into 2018, Jesus, our shepherd, is going to protect us. He's going to protect you. What that means 
is there may be challenges in 2018 that you will be up against, things that you might not predict today. But you can know that you have a shepherd who's going to protect you. He's going to take care of you, and anything that happens to you comes through him first. That's the beauty of knowing that you're a sheep who belongs to Jesus. That you can know that anything, that nothing gets through this shepherd that he doesn't allow and isn't going to take care of us in. That's the beauty of Jesus, the good shepherd. So even though we're sheep, even though we're sheep and we are not at all capable, and when it comes to the things that matter the most, we have the least control. We know that we're in good shape because we're in the hands of a good shepherd. And it's not just in this life that we are in the hands of this good shepherd. It's also in the life to come, that we were made to live forever. We were made to live forever as human beings. And Jesus has made provision for us to live forever in relationship with the God who made us. How did he do that? Well, our passage tells us. There are two phrases that are repeated over and over in this teaching of Jesus. The first is the phrase, good shepherd, that appears several times. Good shepherd, good shepherd, good shepherd. The other phrase is the phrase that tells us what makes Jesus a good shepherd. It's repeated five times in the passage. I hope you noticed it. Where the good shepherd says, I'm a good shepherd because I lay down my life for my sheep. Five times in this passage, Jesus says, I lay down my life for my sheep. I lay down my life for my sheep. I am a good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. Now, why would anyone lay down their life for a sheep? Why would anyone lay down their life for you? You are not very capable. You don't have that going for you. Right? Well, you must be valuable. If the shepherd is willing to lay down his life for you, then you must have value that maybe you sometimes don't feel. Maybe sometimes you just don't have a sense, but, but clearly when it, Jesus values you because he has laid down his life for you, even though you're a sheep. And that's remarkable. It's remarkable that someone would consider you so valuable, even though you're not capable. You're like, well, I'm not very good at much, you know. This has nothing to do with your capability. It has to do with your value, because Jesus laid down his life for you, not because you're capable. Not because you're good at something. Not because you try hard. Jesus laid down his life for you because you are valuable. To him. You are so valuable that he put aside his desires, even to the point of death, because he loves you so much. Even though you're not capable, you are valuable. And that's why Christmas is such a big deal, because Christmas gives us a shepherd. That's why we celebrate Christmas, because it's the origin, it's really where the story really starts picking up. All the way through the Bible, God is at work in the world and He's working His plan. But boy, when Jesus enters the scene, all that speeds up. Because now we have a shepherd. Christmas gives us a shepherd who loves us so much, He will lay down His life for us. 
And we need this. We need this for this life because the things that matter most we have the least control of. And we need it for the next life because we have no clue what happens when we die other than what Jesus tells us. And if you want Jesus to be your shepherd, if you want someone to guide and provide and protect you in this life, then you need Jesus to be your shepherd. And if you want to make sure that you're ready for the next life, then you need Jesus to be your shepherd. So how do you get in that flock, you know? How, how do you make Jesus your shepherd? It's simple. You just allow Jesus to be your shepherd by turning to him and seeing him as the one that God sent. These songs that we sang this morning about Jesus, God in flesh becoming a human being. That's Jesus. He's the one God sent. And you become his sheep just by acknowledging that. Not by a church ritual or baptism or, or cleaning up your life or working really hard at it, but instead just looking to Jesus as the one God sent and learning and starting to listen to his voice. Letting him become the leader of your life. And when you do that, there's an immediate eternal transaction. God forgives your sins because Jesus laid down his life for you. God forgives your sins. He repairs your broken relationship with him. He adopts you into his family, makes you one of his children, gives you eternal life. So that now you have a shepherd in this life and in the life to come. And that's something that, that anyone can do. But not everybody does. Not everybody buys it. Right here in this passage, we see that even in Jesus' day, there were people like, I do not buy that. Look at the end of this teaching in verse 19. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? He lived in an agrarian culture 2,000 years ago. They didn't understand how the world really works. They lived under this mythical understanding of the world and magical explanations. And they had a guy who, who uh, fit those, you know, who, who taught within that worldview. And, and he didn't understand anything about the world as, it re- as we really understand it, scientifically minded people. He, 2,000 years ago, agrarian culture... He's either ignorant or, what they said, demon-possessed and raving mad. That's another insult if you're looking for one. Demon-possessed and raving mad. That's how some people respond to Jesus. They're like, that stuff is hooey. But others said, not so fast. Not so fast. These are not, let's just think about this for a minute. You're blowing the whole thing off. What if you just slowed down and thought a little more critically about this? These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. He doesn't talk like that. You can't just blow him off like that and say he's crazy. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? They're like, I know some people whose lives have been changed by this man. You can't just blow him off and call him crazy. That's an interesting way to think about how people respond to Jesus. Some people just say, that stuff, is, it's baloney. It's not, uh, it's not the world we live in. It's mythical, magical. It's uh, just a defense mechanism for helping weak people get through the world. But other people say, well, not so fast. 
I mean, this, we are talking about history's most admired person. We are talking about history's most complex person. What if he's just someone we don't fully understand and we should be paying attention to him? What if he actually knows some things that we don't? Those are two different ways of responding to Jesus. And there's one of those is a wise way and one of them is not. And the wise way is to say, not so fast. Don't just blow it off. What if you thought about it a little bit? What if you looked at the lives of people you respect whose lives have been changed? And you, you uh, gave it some thought. Just on that basis alone, I know some people who were blind and now they see. I know some people who were losers and now they have pretty respectable lives and they attribute it to Jesus. I know that people say Jesus said crazy things, but when I look at what he says, it doesn't sound crazy to me. You know what, if that's you this morning, if that's you, then, then that may be God. You may be hearing the voice of a shepherd speaking to you, saying, you know, you can follow me if you want, and I can lead you into eternal life. If you're here and you are not necessarily buying everything that we're saying, but you're willing to be that second category of person who says, okay, not so fast. I'll think about that. You couldn't be in a better place. Trinity is a, a, a healthy place for you to be and ask those, asking those questions and exploring those things. And one of the things, one next step you could take besides just hanging around Trinity is to pick up a book. We've got a little booklet in, in the guest services uh, table called Why Christmas. It's just a short little explanation, very high altitude explanation of who Jesus is and why he came. And it's a great next step. If you're in this second category and you're saying, this doesn't sound crazy, but... I need to think about it some more. Why Christmas? We'd love for you to pick up a copy uh, before you leave this morning. This could be a day when you uh, get a shepherd who will protect you and guide you and provide for you. That'd be a great way to respond to Christmas 2017 is to say, that's the Christmas. I solidified my relationship with the good shepherd. Uh, we have one more thing that we want to talk about this morning. I'm going to break... Uh, all the rules of preaching. Well, I'm not going to break all the rules of preaching, but I'm going to break the first rule of preaching. And the first rule of preaching is only preach one sermon on a Sunday morning. And I'm going to preach another sermon. I'm going to preach sermon number two without sitting down because it's also something that we need to hear. And you can relax. I am, yeah, this is a second sermon, different subject, but something we need to hear because it's very it's different but related. And uh, it's not going to be as long as the first one, so you can relax. But it's something that we need to hear. I said earlier that Trinity is responding to this moment in our history, our 63rd year of ministry, in a way that I think we can be thankful for. Because we're working through a hard time. We're working through even some misunderstandings and hurts and just some of the stuff that comes from being a faith family. And we're working through it in a way that's mature and patient and loving. And do you know why that is? Do you know why Trinity is responding in a way that's mature and patient and loving? Striving for truth and love at the same time? It's because we have a great pastor. And I'm not talking about Pastor Brad, and I'm not talking about Pastor Chris. I'm not talking about Pastor Thad, and I'm not talking about Pastor Edgar. I'm talking about Jesus. Because Jesus is the shepherd of this church. Now, 
Do you know what what the word pastor means? The word pastor is the Latin word for shepherd. That's why it sounds so much like the word pasture. Okay? Because pastors work in pastures. Shepherds work in sheepfolds. That's what the word pastor means. It's uh, uh, the Latin word for shepherd. So when you see the word pastor in your English translation, talking about a human being as a leader of a church, it's the same word that Jesus uses of himself when he describes himself as the shepherd. It's the same word, same Greek word. But there's an important distinction. Even though God gives pastors to a church, there is really only one pastor. There's only one pastor of a true church, one shepherd, and that shepherd is Jesus. And I'm not making this up. Take your Bibles if you want to see this for yourself. I would, I'd encourage you to do it. Second, uh, First Peter. First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5. Another one of Jesus' inner three. See, the Bible, the New Testament, not composed by just a bunch of random strangers who thought they'd write about Jesus. John, Jesus' closest friend. Peter, one of the three who were closest to Jesus. And Peter, decades after Jesus' resurrection, was writing to pastors in chapter 5. When he gets to chapter 5, there's a section of 1 Peter that's addressed to pastors. And Peter calls them He actually uses all three New Testament terms for a pastor in one passage. He calls them elders, he calls them shepherds, and he calls them overseers. Those are the three New Testament words for a pastor. Elder, when he's talking about elders, he's not just talking about the old guys in the room. He's talking about those who are the pastoral leaders. Elders is one word. Shepherd is the other word. And then overseer, episcopos, uh, the King James uses the term bishop, all right? But it's really, that's, that's not a good way to think about it. It's the overseer. We have all three terms in this one passage as he writes to these shepherds. But then he reminds these shepherds that there's really only one shepherd, and he is the chief shepherd. Begin reading in chapter 5, verse 1. To the elders, not the old guys, the pastors among you, I appeal as a fellow Elder, not as another old codger, but as another shepherd, another pastor, another elder, a witness of Christ's suffering and one who will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds, pastors. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. If you don't like the word overseer and you're like, well, that's kind of highfalutin and bossy. Well, overseers serve. Serving as overseers. All three terms, same passage. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. There is a chief shepherd. And that chief shepherd 
is Jesus. He is the, he is the chief pastor of Trinity. He's the lead pastor. And every other pastor is just an under-shepherd. Just shepherding on behalf of Jesus. And no under-shepherd is permanent. Every pastor is an interim pastor. Except Jesus. As long as Trinity is true to Jesus, Jesus will be Trinity's lead shepherd. And that's why this church can navigate a transition like the one that we're in right now. Because the chief shepherd isn't changing. That's why we can navigate some of the differences that come up in any faith family. Just doing life together. The differences that come up. We can navigate those with grace and patience and truth and love because we're following the same chief shepherd and we're not following a human shepherd. We're following Jesus. We're employing His values and His way of life the life that he embodied, and we know that this shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. If this shepherd lays down his life for sheep, then sheep can lay down their lives for each other. That makes sense. And we know from Philippians 2 that Jesus, even though he had every right to hang on to his godhood, instead he allowed himself to be made in human, in human flesh. He, and, and that passage tells us, he did this because he didn't look on his own interests, but on the interests of others. And we're told, we're, we're told to be just like that. So as we follow this kind of a shepherd, of course, we will look like laying down our lives for each other. Of course, we will put the good of this church first, not ourselves. Of course, we will put the good of the people of this valley, people who aren't here yet, ahead of our own interests. Of course we will, because we follow that kind of shepherd. And that's how we'll navigate the future. We're going to follow the voice of our chief shepherd. He knows where he's taking us. And Jesus will shepherd Trinity. Jesus will build his church as his church listens to his voice and follows him. He's a good shepherd. We follow him. We're going to be fine. Let's pray. Father, as we think about these things, we're so thankful that you want to be known by us. So you sent Jesus so that we could know you. And Jesus, you communicated in pictures so that we can understand, even on an emotional level, what it means that, you, that we're valuable to you, even though we're not very capable. That's such a beautiful reminder, and we're thankful for that. And I want to ask, pray that on, on behalf of the person this morning who is still in the process of deciding what they think about Jesus, and they haven't really made that life decision, they, they haven't really come down on one side of the fence or the other, I pray that you will help them to know that the, that the urge to do that is your voice calling someone you want to be your sheep, to look to you as the one that the Father sent, and to allow themselves to uh, enter into relationship with you and allow you to become the leader of their lives. I pray that that spiritual transaction that matters for eternity, that you'd help someone take that step this morning. And then I pray for this faith family as we follow the chief shepherd. We're so thankful that you have given someone to guide and provide and protect this faith family. 
We know that Jesus will shepherd his church. He will build his church. And we're thankful for that reminder this morning. We're thankful that Jesus is to us the good shepherd. Help us to live this Christmas season with uh, an assurance that comes from knowing this. And we ask it in the name of the good shepherd. Amen.